1: Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 344. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, it's December 4th. Let's start things off with an appropriately fourth-ish Drabble. The forecast calls for death by Monsieur Mustache, read and produced by Dribblecaster Tibby. Here goes.
2: The Forecast Calls for Death Written by Monsieur Moustache Read by Tibby Ivy was afraid of number four. Sometimes she dreamed about it, distant figures whispering its name in warning. She was certain her death would involve four somehow. She stopped leaving home, afraid she'd come across a rogue number four bus, a murderous four-year-old, or slip on four carelessly dropped tetrafish. When April rolled around, Ivy waited in agony for the fourth, certain that was the day forecast for her demise. It came and went. Feeling foolish yet relieved, Ivy finally walked outside. It'd been months since she'd felt fresh air. It's unfortunate how quickly golf courses pop up nowadays. Thank you for listening to The Dribblecast, found on Dribblecast.org. The Dribblecast is a fan-produced companion podcast to The Drabblecast, which is found at Drabblecast.org. Because here at The Dribblecast, we are strange listeners, enjoying strange stories, written by strange authors.
1: Indeed we are, Tibby, indeed we are. And for our feature stories this week, we bring you a Travelcast Doubleheader Special, Two Kick-Ass Weird Stories by One Kick-Ass Weird Author. Our featured author for Doubleheader Special number 15, one of my absolute favorite writers, the one and only James Patrick Kelly, and the two stories we'll be featuring of his are Sing, Pilgrim, and Suspicious. Jim's had quite the eclectic writing career with numerous novels, short stories, essays, reviews, poetry, plays, and planetarium shows to his name. His short novel, Burn, won the Science Fiction Writers of America's Nebula Award in 2007, and he's won the World Science Fiction Society's Hugo Award twice, in 1996 for his novelette Think Like a Dinosaur, and in 2000 for his novelette Ten to the Sixteenth to One. A prolific teacher, Jim's taught most of the major science fiction writing workshops, including Clarion, Clarion West, Viable Paradise, and Odyssey, and he's served on the New Hampshire State Council of the Arts since 1998. Check out his website at www.jimkelly.net. The stories are read to you by one of my favorite voice actresses as well, Lauren Singer. For over a decade, Lauren's voiced hundreds of projects, ranging from video games, animation, commercials, audiobooks, and podcasts. She's a classically trained vocalist and actress who exceeds at bringing her talent and enthusiasm to everything she does. You last heard her here on the Travelcast in episode 328, Local Delicacies. So, without further ado, let's get started with our two double header stories presented back to back. We bring you Sing Pilgrim, followed by Suspicious by James Patrick Kelly.
2: Sing
3: Pilgrim by James Patrick Kelly. The chair first appeared on a Thursday afternoon, on the sidewalk, in front of the Dollar Bank and Trust on Lancaster Street in Pulaski, Kansas. Nobody saw how it got there. At least, no reliable eyewitnesses have ever come forward, so we are unable to pinpoint the exact moment of its arrival. Customers began to ask the tellers about it shortly after lunch. The chair was in the Windsor style low-backed with what was called a continuous arm made of a single, bent piece of wood. It was painted dark green. Chips in the finish revealed that while the spindles were of hickory, the seat was pine. Tapered maple legs were connected by H-stretchers. While the chair gave the impression of sturdiness, its uprights were refined. It would not have been out of place at the head of a suburban kitchen table, or in the kind of restaurant that used paper placemats. While some semioticians, notably Sunil Chodhari, have argued that its construction is a modality which encodes the chair's ultimate meaning, we remained unconvinced that there was much to be gleaned from its physical appearance. The bank's janitor, Hiram Hickok, discovered the second most extraordinary thing about the chair. It could not be moved. Dispatched by the branch manager to dispose of it, he tried picking the chair up pushing it, and finally, in frustration, kicking it. Nothing worked. It remains to this day approximately 2.286 meters from the lobby entrance to the bank, facing north-northwest toward Menard's Hardware, which is across the street and three doors up. Hickok might easily have discovered the most extraordinary thing about the chair had he not immediately re-entered the bank to report its immovability to his manager. Instead, that honor fell to Clarissa Delaunay, a dental hygienist who had just deposited to her account the rebate check for her new Sony Bravia television. It was a television she would never get to watch. In the heat of the day, she decided to sit while she waited for the 34 bus, the stop being just steps away from the Swifty Mart. As she settled herself into the chair, we can imagine that, like all singing pilgrims, she smiled, and began to hum her song. We can picture the familiar expression of profound peace as she then began to sing. Although there is no documentation of that historic moment, five eyewitnesses reported that she sang If I Had a Hammer, although the janitor, Hiram Hickok, in his memoir What I Don't Understand, wrote that it was Michael, row your boat ashore. Whatever song it was that chose her, as she sang, Clarissa Delaunay shimmered, as all singing pilgrims do, dissipated, and then finally vanished from this world altogether. The knot of people who saw the first pilgrim disappear, or transcend, as the Church of the Chair insists, had a range of reactions from horror to amusement to outright disbelief. Kai Balancey, a student at BSU, insisted to his girlfriend that it had been some kind of trick. In his attempt to prove this, he became the second singing pilgrim, and the first whose transcendence was captured on video. Balancé was already in full voice, having reached the phrase, Era già figlio prima da Marti, in the aria di quella pira, from Il Trovatore, by the time the girlfriend began recording him with her iPhone. Her video clearly showed Balancé's transition from gleam to glitter, as well as the ecstatic joy on his face. This first video was of a kind with the hundreds of thousands taken by reporters, scientists, academics, and artists, not to mention the loved ones of those who have used the chair's mysterious power. The humming, the bursting into song, the relaxation, and the bliss were uniformly present. The songs themselves, of course, were as various as humankind. As far as we know, no pilgrim song has ever been repeated. It is a truism that nobody chooses the soundtrack to her transcendence. Those who proclaimed their intention to sing themselves into the unknown with the Star-Spangled Banner or Ave Maria were likely to depart with my yaya's piaw, or the medieval L'Otrière mire Lavaz or Heya. While some argued that the ecstatic expression prior to dissolution was in fact an involuntary muscle constriction, Caused by the chair's interference with neural pathways, one had only to witness a seating to understand that whatever the pilgrims encountered as they disappeared, it was intensely pleasurable. It has been said that every age gets the chair that it deserves, and the history of chair culture is checkered at best. We estimate that there were several thousand launches in the early years, before the government finally seized the chair, and indeed all of Lancaster Street, by eminent domain. The ensuing scientific examination of the chair, while exhaustive, was unproductive. We now know that the chair phenomenon does not occur unless a human being sits on the seat. Inanimate objects remain unchanged and untransported, as do turtles, mice, and porcupines. Chimps and bonobos will shriek as long as they are in contact with the seat, but remain steadfastly in place. As Nobel laureate Petra Dvorska famously said, The more we study the chair, the less we know. In time, the government yielded to public pressure and allowed use of the chair by anyone of sound mind over the age of 21. In the early days of this new policy, seatings were open to the public and were broadcast by the media. At the height of its popularity, the chair channel had a worldwide audience. By the turn of the century, however, interest flagged as the realities of chair administration led to a growing disenchantment. Last year, for example, fewer than 27 million people voted for the Seating of the Year on the amazing Grace Feed. This drop in audience may be explained in part, however, by competition from Soccer's World Cup. Nevertheless, the numbers are grim. According to the Church of the Chair, the average seating takes 3.51 minutes, which means that the Chair can accommodate slightly fewer than 150,000 Pilgrims a year. With the waiting list currently 31 years, applications from the key 18- to 30-year-old demographic have fallen precipitously. Also, the persistent rumor that we are running out of songs has led some to doubt that future generations of Pilgrims will be able to avail themselves of the Chair. While we very much doubt this to be the case, we applaud the Church of the Chairs program of hiring composers to write and stockpile new tunes. We met Hiram Hickok, now 91, on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of his discovery of the chair, and he offered his perspective on its nature.
4: If I had a hammer,
3: I don't know nothing about how it got here or what it's for. I let the smart folks decide all that. All over this land. When we asked if he was interested in taking a seat someday, Hickok regarded us with obvious suspicion. I like my life just fine, he declared. Then he pointed to the line of pilgrims waiting for their turn. I still don't get why they're in such a goddamn hurry to leave theirs. We reminded him that many believe the chair to be a shortcut to the next world. So's jumping off Niagara Falls he shrugged. Besides, I can't carry a tune in a bucket.
4: If I had a song, if I had a song i
5: Baby don't mess around because she loves me so and least I know for sure. But does she really wanna but can't stand to see me walk out the door?
3: Suspicious by James yes, Patrick
5: Kelly.
3: Marva wanted to keep an open mind, but she suspected that Dr. Kamer wasn't about to help her. Maybe it was the background music playing in his office. Baroque sonatas, too damn serene, overconfident. Doctors had ruined her life, and this one was like all the rest. And then there was the curved furniture and the moonscape on his flicks. So he had the kind of income that could buy a vacation in space, blood money squeezed from other people's misery. So, Mrs. Gunderson, he said, why are you here today? Didn't you read my file? I did. He blinked at the desktop and it lit up. The reflected light of a folder turned his skin to milk as he peered at it. I have reports from Doctors Maffei and Orozco and Smithson and the Johnny. Then you know what I want. May I hear it in your own words? She hated being the person it was about. I had a memory implanted, she said. It was a mistake. I want it gone. Why do you think it was a mistake? Because it changed who I am. And who were you? Her hands closed into fists. She could tell that he had made up his mind about her. (sighs) Okay. I thought I was happily married. Jeff and I were together for twelve years. Never a hint of trouble. We were content. At least, I was. I was never suspicious. Never. That wasn't the kind of person I was. She noticed his fingers tapping on the desktop. You're taking notes? Is that a problem? She batted at the air in front of her as if to ward off a bad smell. Two years ago, he was in Manhattan to negotiate a deal for the patents to a new flash steam process. He was an intellectual property lawyer. He and Cindy were killed in the VX nerve gas attack in Times Square. They were seeing the robot revival of cats. Cindy was his secretary. Got that? He nodded. He was staying at the Algonquin. Cindy wasn't supposed to be in New York. All right. What do you mean, all right? He didn't tell anyone she was going. You think there was something suspicious going on. I think they were having an affair. He swiped several pages of her file, looking for something. It says here that they were staying in separate rooms. She reached behind her neck and tugged at the short hairs. I went down to identify the body. The pain helped her focus. Afterwards... I had to pack up his things. A pair of her shoes were in his hotel room. Maybe she took them off. They were working late, and she took her shoes off. One was under a chair. He gave a noncommittal grunt. But you were still not sure about this affair. I kept going back and forth, missed him terribly, then hoped he was burning in hell. I mean, Cindy, we treated her like a daughter. Used to have her over to the house for Thanksgivings. She even looked like me. Her face twisted. A much younger me. I talked to her fiancé, Sean. Sweet guy. Said that they were set to announce a date when she died. He was sure she was innocent. None of it made sense. All I knew was that it was tearing me apart. Tell me about the implant. So I read about alternate memory, you know as a kind of grief therapy. I met with Maffei. This would be... He glanced at the desktop. Dr. Louis Maffei? They took his license because of this. Does it say that? He claimed that if I had a memory of going down there and catching them in the act, then my suspicions would be confirmed. I could come to a resolution. Let Jeff go. Move on with my life. American Express called to confirm that Jeff Gunderson had charged $508.89 to the St. James Theater. Only Jeff never went to the theater. And when Marva checked the St. James online, she found that $508 was the cost of two tickets in the Center Orchestra. And then she was staring out the window of the bullet train at Long Island Sound and at the wainscoting in the elevator as the doors rattled shut. And then room 534 and they were in bed, and Cindy was wearing a blue teddy with the crotch unsnapped. Jeff gave Marva lingerie every Valentine's Day, and Marva had a moment of double vision, and it was her astride Jeff, body a little thicker than Cindy's, hair a bit duller. But then it was Cindy again, her friend Cindy, and her husband Jeff. And Marva kicked one of Cindy's shoes across the room, And all she could think to say before she slammed the door on her marriage was, enjoy the show. And now you want this false memory gone? A double tap and Dr. Kamer's desktop went dark. (sighs) Obviously. You've been to three other neuropsychiatrists. They've told you what? She felt the heat rise to her cheeks. Orozco told me that Maffei deserved to have his ticket pulled, but that he didn't want to help me. Didn't want to, or couldn't. Implanted memories are more durable than those acquired through ordinary learning. What you are asking probably would not fix the underlying symptoms. Smithson tried to erase the memory, but it's still there. I never should have trusted him. And Johnny says I need cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm not talking about this for the rest of my life so he can pad his appointment calendar. Dr. Kamer leaned forward. Mrs. Gunderson, I wish you could hear yourself. You're suspicious of every... I knew it! She shot out of her chair. I knew it the moment I walked in here! Mrs. Gunderson, I... But she was already through the door. It felt as if there was a noose around her chest. Kamer's receptionist and the old man in the waiting room looked at her as if she were crazy. But she wasn't. Not at all. She had every right to be suspicious of them, the lot of them. After all, she knew what she knew.
1: That was our Double Header Special. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, remember the Drabblecast runs solely off the support of listeners such as yourself. Consider making a donation to the Drabblecast via the support options at the right of our website, www.drabblecast.org. We greatly appreciate it. Alright, moving on to our 100-character story winner this week. That's 100 characters, not counting spaces. This week, by first-time winner, Lord Entropy, with this one here. They said it was too late to operate, but only a fool gives up hope. The knife trembles in my hand. Hush, my love. Be strong. Ah, how sweet. Think you can write a story with only 100 characters? I know you can. Give it a shot. You'll find a handy 100-character sizing tool in the TwitFix section of the TravelCast discussion forums at forums.travelcast.org, where we also pick our weekly winners. Be more than a listener. Be a participant in the TravelCast discussion forums. You can also write 100-word Drabbles based on insider theme prompts for upcoming shows, giving you a higher chance of having your story selected to be on the show. And you can also find hundreds to thousands of other Drabbles there to read and produce yourself if you want to be a part of that DrabbleCast thing, our fan-run, fan-produced fan-cast. Not to mention you can keep up to date on the weirdest of weird news, hear the latest in what's going on in the podcast world, and of course, post and chat your thoughts on Drabblecast stories. There's always something going on in the discussion forums. Oh, and follow the Drabblecast on Twitter, at the Drabblecast. And speaking of other podcasts by the way, if you aren't in the know about our other podcasts coming out of the Drabblecast, Drabble Classics and Drabblecast B-sides, there's even more listening enjoyment to be had. Drabble Classics is a free bi-weekly podcast you can subscribe to from our website at drabblecast.org, where DC Classics editor Charity Helton picks a story from the back shelves of our vast archive and runs it again along with her own host commentary spin as well as a recorded roundtable discussion by Drabblecast fans at the end. Go subscribe if you aren't already. It's good fun. And of course, there's our other podcast, Drabblecast B-Sides, a feed of monthly bonus content exclusively for our $10 a month subscribers. More stories, more weirdness. If you aren't subscribed to the Drabblecast for only $10 a month yet, but you love the show and have the means, this is where you need to be, folks. There's a fun horror story about ticks, everyone's favorite little parasitic insect coming to you just in time for the holidays. You won't want to miss it. All right, and on that note, folks, we close out this week's show. The Travelcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Emily Poole. Emily's an illustration student at Rhode Island School of Design. You can find more of her work at www.behance.net forward slash Emily Poole. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you, nobody chooses the soundtrack to their transcendence.
5: My baby don't mess around because she loves me so at least I know for sure does she really want to can't stand to see me walk out the door I can't stand to fight the feeling cause the thought alone is killing me right now I thank God for mom and dad for sticking two together cause we don't know how and Hey
4: Got it. Oh, you think you got it, but got it Just don't get it till there's nothing at all We get together, oh, we get together But separate's always better when there's feelings involved If what they say that nothing is forever But what makes, the what makes, the what makes Love the exceptions Why, 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 why Are we so in denial when we know we're not happy? You. Don't make me break it down for nothing. I want to see you all on your arms by this behavior. I say. You're Shake, 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 like Shake, shake, shake it, shake it